Don't Get Between Those Living in Chicago and Their Beer. It is true now, and it was true in 1855, when anti-immigrant rules, I mean the enforcement of city policies, threatened to interfere with the consumption of beer by immigrants on their one day off, resulting in a full-on uprising. This is the story of the Lager Beer Riot of 1855. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. eighteen thirty three Chicago is incorporated as a town by the state legislature. The first brewery in Chicago is established, and the Chicago chapter of the American Temperance Society was founded. Yep, long before prohibition began in January of nineteen twenty, organizations pushing for temperance, the abstinence from alcohol, began forming in the city, first appearing in eighteen thirty three with the Chicago Temperance Society, a branch of the American Temperance Society. By 1834, the Chicago group had attracted 120 members. Chicago, 1840. The population of the city was approximately 4,470. By the end of the decade, the city's numbers had swelled to roughly 29,963. More than half of the population was foreign-born, with the Irish making up about 21% of that number and the Germans around 17%. Both groups had experienced difficulties back home. Many newly arrived Germans came to the States to escape the political upheavals in 1848 in their homeland, and more than one and a half million Irish came to the U.S. to avoid becoming a statistic of the Great Famine that started in 1845 and lasted seven years, taking the lives of a million people who lived there. One difference between the groups, according to Bob Skilnick in his 2006 book Beer, A History of Brewing in Chicago, is that later studies of the educational and trade backgrounds show that nearly 62% of Chicago's early German immigrants were white-collar workers or skilled craftsmen. This allowed them to more quickly establish themselves as brewers and conduct their business in English-speaking cities. The Irish were less fortunate, having fled a feudal land system, crop failures slash threat of starvation with little to their name upon arrival in America. The first German brewery and beer garden opened in 1847 in Chicago. That same year, the number of temperance groups in Chicago rose to 10. Their influence was strong. When Northwestern University in Evanston, just north of Chicago, was founded in the early 1850s by a group of Methodists, they instituted a four-mile dry zone around the school. Even when Evanston was incorporated in December of 1863, the city was dry because of Northwestern. Other dry towns around Chicago around that time, or slightly later, included Oak Park, River Forest, Winnetka, and Wheaton. Beer in the United States, at least up until the mid-1840s, was a dark malted liquor referred to as ale that was heavily hopped and had little carbonation. 
the Germans brought with them the love of and the know-how in making lager, that golden-colored, highly carbonated beer that is still one of the most popular types more than 170 years later. Now, I don't want to make it sound like non-Germans in Chicago immediately went bonkers for this lager. Actually, the go-to hooch in the city continued to be whiskey, which was used not only as a quick way to get drunk and use up excess grains from Midwest crops, but was also used as a portable barter item for business conducted in rural areas. The Germans in Chicago in the mid-1800s weren't super eager to assimilate into American customs, which often irked the established locals. The attitude of the Germans was described in Eugen Seeger's Chicago the Wonder City as such. On Sundays, they were in the habit of marching through the streets of the city to the strains of blaring bands, preferring to parade past crowded churches on their way to the picnic grounds where they amused themselves to their heart's content while guzzling enormous quantities of beer. In short... With more courage and vigor than diplomatic consideration, the German lifestyle was demonstrated in order to show the Yankees once and for all what it means to be a free German of backbone. And then they enthusiastically assured each other that it was just like in Germany. The Irish Catholic immigrants were also looked down upon by the American-born locals, Newspapers in Chicago, especially the Chicago Tribune, began printing not-so-subtle attacks on the Catholic population of Chicago. This anti-immigration bent gave rise to the local chapter of the American Party, also known as the Know-Nothing Party, a society of men opposed to the Irish, uh, Roman Catholicism, immigration by Roman Catholics, you get the idea. I covered some of this in last year's St. Patrick's Day in Chicago episode, uh, including signs placed in store windows for businesses looking to hire workers that read, Help Wanted, No Irish Need Apply, and newspaper ads that even read, Catholic Irish Need Not Apply. The name Know Nothing originated because of the semi-secret nature of the party. When a member was asked about his activities, his response was to simply be, I know nothing. This oft-heard reply became so comical, outsiders started calling them know-nothings, and the tag stuck. To be fair to the know-nothings, not sure I have to, but they did speak about issues of labor rights and the need for more government spending, and also believed in support for the expansion of the rights of women, regulation of industry, and support of measures designed to improve the status of working people. Roughly half of the know-nothings were in support of abolishing slavery, half were not. As the eight-hour workday wouldn't become a thing until 11 years later, with legislation passed in 1867, many Germans and Irish worked 10- to 12-hour days, six days a week. On Sunday, their day off, they like to kick back and raise a glass of their favorite adult beverage in a social setting. According to the Encyclopedia of Chicago, Levi De Boone, a grand-nephew of Kentucky pioneer Daniel Boone, was the first president of the Chicago Medical Society, 
and a successful physician who had fought in the Black Hawk War and whose wealth came from canal lands and downtown real estate. Boone, a member of the Know Nothings, next set his sights on becoming mayor of Chicago. The Know Nothing Party and campaign benefited from a general lack of interest in elections that year, the extremely low turnout at the voting booths on March 6, 1855, helped usher Levi Boone into office as the 14th mayor of Chicago, a city numbering more than 80,000 residents at that time. In his inauguration address a week later, it became pretty clear what his plans were when he stated... I would therefore recommend the council to refuse to license the sale of intoxicating liquors after the first day of April. Should the council differ with me upon the propriety of licensing, I would then advise another alternative, that is, to grant licenses to such persons as desire to take them at the maximum fixed price by the city charter, that is $300 per year. I wish to bespeak your active cooperation in closing all places where liquor is sold upon the Sabbath day. Sure enough, by the end of March 1855, the Committee on Licenses of the City Council raised the annual liquor fee to $300, a 500% increase from the previous amount of $50. This is comparable to a $1,600 bill jumping to $9,600 in present-day amounts. Local saloon keepers were not pleased. Three weeks later, the council adopted a resolution to prevent the sale of liquor on Sundays, effectively closing down saloons on the one day Germans and Irish had off to socialize and get their drink on. At this time, there were 675 saloons in the city. Of those, only 50 were owned by native-born Americans, with the rest run primarily by German and Irish immigrants. Those German and Irish saloon owners felt the resolutions put forth by the mayor and the city council were enacted to keep them from thriving in America's free enterprise system. Uh, regarding the liquor license fee, it should be noted that many of the saloon owners had never bothered to get any license, even at the old $50 fee. So to find out they'd have to pony up to get an even more expensive license, and they'd need to stay closed on their most profitable day of the week? Not cool, Mayor Boone. Not cool. Fearful of prosecution, many saloon owners closed their doors for good, Others ignored the new fee and continued to serve patrons on Sundays in violation of the law. Oh, Mayor Boone also ordered a three-year moratorium on issuing new licenses. Uh, perhaps expecting issues resulting from these bold acts, he tripled the size of the police force, but would not hire immigrants for any of the new positions. Roughly 80 native-born police officers were sworn in, responsible for ensuring all liquor licenses were current and that saloons were not open on the Sabbath. 
In the following weeks, 200 saloon owners were arrested for not having a current liquor license and or for staying open on Sundays. The German saloon owners, hardest hit by these arrests, were the most outspoken of this treatment. Meanwhile, American-born bartenders at more upscale establishments welcomed patrons in through the side door of their watering holes to enjoy as they liked on Sundays. German brewers and their affected customers formed a society to protest the high liquor license fee, each pledging $5, around $160 in today's money, to help support the cause. The leader of this pro-beer society was John Huck, owner of the John A. Huck Brewery, whose own beer garden had been shut down on Sundays, a pretty profitable day for him. The loss of the other saloon's business may have also spurred Huck into action. As for those arrested, a test trial was set for April 20th, 1855 for 33 of the violators. Judge Henry Rucker, who was to preside over the trial, was delayed after being out of town and requested the trial be rescheduled for the following day. This gave the already unhappy German pro-beer group another day to get even more angry about how they perceived they were being treated. The next morning, a group of armed Germans gathered at Muller's Beer Hall on Randolph Street before marching down to the Cook County Courthouse. Judge Rucker cleared the courtroom of German supporters, who then left the building and joined the protesters outside. A group of roughly 50 police pushed the unruly crowd back, which, for the moment, worked. Sensing the crowd would return, Mayor Boone swore in an additional 150 policemen. Yep, swore in right that day with no training. You know, kind of like those old westerns where someone gives a guy a deputy badge and says, you're a lawman now. I mean, really, what could go wrong? Around 3 o'clock that afternoon, the angry Germans returned, this time with Irish saloon owners and their supporters. The crowd, according to some reports, numbered close to 500. A police officer in the area ordered the swing bridge at Clark Street and the river to be opened, blocking the path of the mob who demanded the bridge tender close the bridge so they may cross or be fired upon. The bridge tender ignored the threats and the mob backed down. Once the police were in full force on the south side of the river, the bridge was closed, allowing the crowd to proceed, confronted by a wall of newly sworn-in police. Someone in the mob yelled, Take the stars! And shots... were fired. The crowd clashed in the middle. Guns, muskets, police batons, crude clubs, and more were in use. One of the rioters, described as a Frenchman, fired at Officer George W. Hunt, striking him in the left arm with additional buckshot entering his body. Near that rioter was a 28-year-old German cigar maker named Peter Martens, who also fired a shot at Officer Hunt. Turning heel, Martens attempted to flee but was shot in the back and brought to his knees. As he tried to get to his feet, a newly deputized citizen fired another shot at Martens, the bullet passing through his back. Martens died of his wounds three days later in a cell in the county jail, leaving behind a wife and a six-month-old child. 
Officer Hunt's injury was serious enough that his arm had to be amputated the following day. As the fight raged on, Officer Alan Pinkerton, who would go on to create the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, was knocked down seven or eight times by the mob and still managed to succeed, quote, in making prisoners of no less than three or four stout Germans, one of whom was armed with a six-barrel revolver, end quote, according to one report. One story from the skirmish involved a man running near the corner of Randolph and LaSalle, pursued by two officers. As the man turned to fire at the police, they fired at him. As the police fired, though, the man's foot went into a hole, quote, which tumbled him heels over head and probably saved his life, end quote. Additional forces were called in, and the riot was over with quickly with 60 protesters arrested, numerous injuries to both the mob and the police, but only one death officially recorded. As for those arrested, most of them were indeed German, although there were a few Irish names as well. Fourteen were brought to trial, but only two were convicted of rioting, men named Halliman and Farrell. Not a single German went to trial, perhaps a sign that Mayor Boone and the rest of the city administration did not want to risk another uprising from the Germans. The two Irishmen were granted new trials, trials that were never held, and they were eventually released. At the next mayoral election in March of 1856, a large German and Irish turnout defeated the Know-Nothings and the $50 liquor license was restored. The Know-Nothing Party never all that organized and split on issues of the day, like slavery, all but disappeared by the end of the Civil War. Less than two decades later, Chicago Mayor Joseph Medill, at the request of a group of Protestant temperance advocates, attempted to enforce the Sunday Closing Law. His efforts were unsuccessful as Chicago's Irish and German groups showed in force and voted against the law, and the city amended it in 1874. Former Mayor Levi Boone went back into the insurance business after his one year as mayor, suffered heavy losses in the Great Fire of 1871 and the Panic of 1873, and died in 1882 at the age of 73. He is buried at Rose Hill Cemetery here in Chicago. The passing of the 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America on January 16, 1919, nearly 64 years after the Lager Beer Riots, dealt a significant blow to the brewing industry of Chicago and to the city's finances. Prior to Prohibition, saloon licensing fees contributed around 25% of the city's annual revenues, that's bonkers, resulting in losses estimated of at least $8 million per year, that's about $111 million in today's dollars. Talk about your budget shortfall. Associated industries and markets also suffered losses, including local farms, grain dealers, malting plants, brewery equipment, manufacturers, and others, including those who just wanted to relax with a beer on Sundays.
Thanks for listening to today's episode about the Lager Beer Riot of 1855. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I have links to various books and items related to Chicago's amazing history if you or someone you know is a history nerd like me who would like to learn more. Anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no additional cost to you. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and JDate pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on these social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny! He can be found at JKS on Instagram or via email at angeleyesart.com. JKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's amazing history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. <laughs>